Marsha is really good with sales people. I'm not. When I try to bargain, somehow the price always goes up instead of down. I end up paying more than what I started with. So I've learned a great cost-saving strategy. Now, I don't know if this would work for you, but it, it works for me. Uh, whenever we're going shopping and we're buying anything that costs more than a loaf of bread, Marsha does the talking. I just stand in the background and nod a lot like I know what's going on. When you don't know what to say, it's good to have someone there with you to speak on your behalf. John, in this uh, letter has been dealing with some very difficult issues. One of them was the problem of sin. Unfortunately, by the time that John is writing this, and this is later on in, in the first century, so the church has begun to explode. Uh, there are house churches that are beginning all over. And, and there were some uh, misleading teachings that were beginning to develop. And John's dealing with a couple of those, both of them uh, dealing with our view of sin. One of the mistaken teachings was that since Jesus died on the cross, paying the price for all of our sin, it doesn't really matter what we do. We can live any way that we want to because Christ has already paid the price for us. So how we live our life doesn't really matter. Now, now John writes to correct that mistaken teaching. The other mistaken teaching that had begun was a belief that if a person who had followed Christ then sins, they fall away from God's grace and, and have to be resaved all over again. And John writes to correct that mistaken teaching as well. So he's kind of dealing with two ends of the spectrum. One group who is teaching that you can sin all you want, and one group that's saying, hey, if you sin even one time, you're done. So, so part of what John is writing about in First John is to, to correct both of those teachings. He writes very clearly that we are safe in the arms of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he did indeed pay the price in full for all of our sin. To claim that somehow we could fall away from his amazing grace devalues what it was that Jesus did for us on the cross. However, thinking in any way that because Jesus has paid the price in full, that our sin doesn't matter, that also devalues what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so John provides this corrective here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what he writes. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Folks, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, you have someone who speaks for you. No one less than Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus speaks for you. Now, there's two things that, that that leads us to understand. First of all, we we need to know the problem. 
In the verse that occurs just before this, in 1 John 1, 9, one of the most familiar passages in 1 John. John writes, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all righteousness. Christ's sacrifice on the cross had results that are both powerful and far-reaching. Our sin is Forgiven, period. Past, present, future, he has paid for it all. John wants to leave no misunderstanding. So he begins by by correcting uh, the first mistake that might come out of that understanding. The mistaken belief that somehow Jesus' sacrifice on the cross gives us license to sin. John's very clear. He, he writes, I, I write this, which is what he just said in verse 9. I write this, so that you will not sin. Without Christ, our lives would be a constant failure, trying to live up to God's law, but consistently falling short of that. In fact, that's what God's law reveals to us. It reveals our total inability ever to be able on our own to live up to the majesty and righteousness and glory of God. But when we know Christ, our focus changes. Instead of the impossible task of living up to the law of God, we live according to God's law out of our deep gratitude for what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Paul puts it in slightly stronger terms in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? To think differently would be like saying, you know, we have doctors on every street in Springfield. There is just a doctor everywhere in this town. I might as well just get sick as often as I want to. Go ahead, cough all over me, spread your germs all around. I'll just go to the doctor again, and he'll give me another shot. Now, if anyone actually thought that way, we would think they were out of their mind. We are grateful for for doctors and and medicine that, that help us to get well, but no one in their right mind would intentionally go and get sick just because they know there are doctors in town. In fact, the whole idea of medicine is to help us not to grow ill. That's kind of the point. Both John and Paul say the same thing about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Christ delivers us from sin, from all the heartache and the pain and the shame and the guilt that sin brings Christ washes all of that away. Why would we want to go back into that? We know what sin does, both in the short term, the mess that it makes in our life, and the long term, the separation from God that sin brings about. Why would we ever want that in our life again? 
Our goal should be, as believers, to live every day for Christ. Not out of a sense of guilt or or out of some crazy idea that somehow we could make ourselves good enough for God. No, we we seek to, to live out our life for Christ because we realize that even with all of eternity, we will never be able to say thank you to Him enough for what He accomplished for us that day at Calvary. As believers, we know the problem. The good news is, Jesus is the cure. We know the damage that sin does, and yet in our human frailty, we we keep thinking that this time the outcome is going to be different. But it never is. Disobedience to God's command always results in the same mess that it always has brought into our life. But but for the believer, another question haunts us. In the back of our mind, we wonder, oh, wow, I messed up today. Will God still love me? Jesus has corrected the soft view of sin, that somehow sin doesn't matter. And now John corrects the overly severe view, that that somehow the believer could lose their relationship with Jesus. Listen again to what he writes. My dear children, I write this, and remember this, is that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what he's referring back to. He says, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. John here uses the the language of the courtroom. Our advocate, our attorney, the one pleading our case is the same one who gave his life for our sin in the first place. The phrase that John uses literally means the one called to your side. Jesus stands by you. Even in those days when you recognize, ashamed of what you have allowed back into your life, Jesus stands by you. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. He says, Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? Do you see the picture that Paul's drawing there? Jesus is the one who has every right to condemn the sinfulness in our life. Jesus is the one who died on the cross to set us free from our sin. He is absolutely justified were He to come into our life and say, Why are you doing this again? I don't want you anymore. Go away. He has every right to throw us out of the kingdom of God. But that's not what He does. Instead, He 
intercedes on our behalf. He stands with us. His holiness and righteousness covers our guilt. And when God looks at us, He doesn't see all of the sin we have allowed into our life. No, what He sees is the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Have you ever visited a strange building, an office complex, or a, a shopping mall, or, or someplace that you've never been before? And you, you finally find the help desk. And I know you've been there. We've all been there. And so you ask, you know, you know where is this located? Whatever it is you're trying to find. And, and you'll get one of three answers. You, you might get an answer where the person gives you some directions, and they will sound something like this. You take the north elevator to the fifth floor, turn right down the east hallway, you reach the south corridor, well, you need to go to the north to the east office suite, uh, not having brought my compass that day. <laughs> those, base, those directions basically just tell me to just keep walking until I accidentally run into whatever I'm looking for. Or the helpful person at the help desk may give you a map. But since you don't know anything about that building, the map doesn't really make any sense to you either. This fact, however, you don't want to admit. So you gratefully receive the map and then you walk down every hallway in the building looking again for something that looks like whatever it is that you're looking for. Or the nice person at the help desk gets up, realizing you have no sense of direction, and zero ability to read a map. And they offer, hey, why don't I just take you there? Without people like that, I'd still be wandering around in some office building somewhere looking for whatever it is I was looking for. It's good to know someone who knows the way. It's even better to know someone who will take you there. Jesus goes one step farther even than that. He knows the way. He could just tell us, but it would be impossible for us to follow. He could take us there, and yet in our frailty and weakness, we would not survive the journey. But Jesus doesn't just know the way. Jesus doesn't even just take us there. Jesus is the way. And our great high priest, the one who both offers and is the sacrifice for us, he stands with us. It is His righteousness that saves us. Not our righteousness, because our righteousness falls woefully short of what would be required. Jesus pleads our case. 
He intercedes for us. And he is the way. Heavenly Father, this is hard for us to grasp. Because we live in a world that doesn't do this for us very much. In our world, so often it's just up to us. We are left to our own devices. And so we come in our sinfulness, sometimes making the mistake of thinking the same thing. That we're going to have to figure this out. That we're going to have to somehow make up for the things that we've done wrong. That somehow we're going to have to make this right. And and we come to the horrific conclusion that we can't do that. But Heavenly Father, you realize our problem. And you made the way. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to do what we could not do, to live a perfect life and offer a perfect sacrifice. And now, Heavenly Father, what an extraordinary realization to understand that in our frailty, in our fault, in our guilt, Jesus doesn't turn away. He stands with us. And so today we glorify the name of Christ. The one who is the way. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.